Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. In this special episode, guest hosted by Paul Gillen, Michael Atkinson, founder of FUBA, a community for restaurant owners and their suppliers, goes deep inside the business of social networking. Uh, Michael launched FUBA in late 2007. He is a veteran restaurateur, an entrepreneur, and uh, since the launch of the Business to Business Social Network, he's built a base of 14,000 members most of them restaurant owners. FUBA's core business purpose is to help restaurant owners make more money during an economic period, which has been very dismal for this industry. Uh, this entails a core focus on operational excellence, but also on the art of social media promotion and online visibility. In fact, FUBA's novel monetization strategy is to sell conversation monitoring and consulting services, with advertising making only a minority of the revenue. This is one of many interviews that has been conducted by Paul Gillen and myself on the subject of business-to-business social marketing. Uh, Paul and I are writing a book called Social Marketing to the Business Customer, which will be published by Wiley and available in early 2011. We are conducting what I think is the most exhaustive, comprehensive uh, search and research and evaluation and summarization of social marketing to the business customer. It's a question people ask about a lot. It's uh, something that's discussed a great deal. And um, this is going to be the first book that is actually going to tell you what the differences are and what best practices are for marketing to business customers. We're excited about it. Uh, we're right in the thick of it right now. And we hope you enjoy this interview. Um, maybe a highlight or two will wind up in the. So book. you have an interesting background, reading on your uh, on your your history on the site. Uh, how was this? How did you come to to start this latest venture? I wanted to get back in the industry, and LinkedIn didn't do anything for me. Uh, I mean, it's it's well conceived and it's a good network, but it it was limiting on its ability to have relevant content. Um, and after searching and sourcing through. Google and other methods, I didn't see any vertical social network for the food service industry. And uh, it was relatively straightforward at that point, being an entrepreneur, having built a platform before and understanding the value and knowing how large the industry is. <clears throat> it wasn't a real big leap from that void to creating you know, an online platform that was dedicated to this industry. Uh, the leap forward since that original inspiration has been um, very interesting indeed because it's morphed and evolved into something that is a real business at this point. Tell me about your background in the restaurant business. You've been in restaurants for uh, over 20 years, right? Uh, yeah, well over 20 years. Um, I started um, with Victoria Station restaurants back in the late 70s. And then I worked for Chili's early on, opened their fifth restaurant. So I've been in the restaurant business for over 30 years as um, as an operator. Uh, I've owned uh, several restaurants. I've um, uh, overlaid a, a career in finance um, and business consulting that works with a lot of restaurants nationwide on concept development and financing and uh, growth strategies, franchising, um, um, and branded consumer strategies. So it, I've always been connected to the industry in, in some fashion. Um, so, you know, and, and deep respect and, and uh, you know, passion for it. The target audience of FOBO, it seems that you have a very wide swath of people you're targeting here. It's not just restaurant managers, but also people who work in restaurants. Is that correct? Sure. It's, um, it's owners, operators, vendors, service providers, um, you know, those that manufacturers, those that either work in or support the industry in some fashion. You know, there's over 13 million people that work in the food service industry. It's the third largest employer 
after the U.S. government in healthcare. Uh, so it's a very, very large industry. And when you add the folks that service the industry, whether they deliver the food products or manufacture the food products or advise operators in some way, whether it's media or financial consulting or construction design that focus in, in this industry, uh, it's, it's significantly more, perhaps another $5 million. So I think our total addressable market is real close to 20 million people just in the U.S., and it's you know it's a large, very fragmented, somewhat isolated industry. Meaning it's very it's highly independent. About seventy percent of all the restaurants that operate in the United States, which are about nine hundred and fifty thousand, seventy percent of those are independent. So it's it's highly fragmented and isolated. Meaning that if you're an operator and you operate one restaurant, you know that's your universe, that's your perspective up until Fobo. And it's not like everyone has a, has found Fobo yet because we. That's clearly not the case. You know, this is designed to be, at, at, at the very least, a central navigation point for, a, for an industry that, that craves information and best practice. The non-management audience in particular can be difficult to monetize. Uh, why cast such a wide net when uh, a lot of these people who work in restaurants are not really the people that advertisers are looking to reach? Well, you know, it's interesting. You have to have kind of um, both sides of the, of, of the balance sheet. Um, you know, if, if we were clearly an advertising play, which we're not, no vertical can be and grow a business that can scale, um, then I, I, I think we'd be, um, you know, focused on uh, other ways, you know, to, to monetize. Um, but when you're a social network, um, you cross all borders, you... You cross all, you know, occupations, and it's context and relevancy that really sustains a a community. It's this personalized and accurate content that people are craving. And when you build a community, it's it's you know it's either a community of purpose or a community of practice or a community of passion. And we try to, you know, look at all three of those types of communities in a vertical. It has to be relevant. The content has to be contextual. Otherwise, people aren't going to find it useful. And so operators naturally gravitate towards this type of, of environment because they're interested in best practices and connecting and communicating and engaging about burning issues that affect their business. And naturally, if there's operators, manufacturers are interested in, in connecting with those folks because they're the ones who sell products to them as do the service providers who sell consulting services. So you know, it's an interesting balance. About 70% of our members are operators and owners, and the, and the other 30% are made up of service providers and vendors and manufacturers. So from an advertising perspective, it's perfectly balanced. Uh, from a community engagement perspective, uh, it seeks its own level, and we're not interested in in managing the community such that we, we, uh, we manage who um, subscribes uh, as as a, as a as a member, um, those that find the industry interesting uh, and the content compelling uh, and the so and the community useful are going to stay on and and uh, and connect and engage. Those that aren't interested in the food service industry in any 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 facet um, uh, aren't going to either join or, the, or they're not going to stay. So in, in, it, it's not like we're looking to. To have a broad brush or 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 be fragmented in in our approach, uh, this is all you know a viral loop of of um, of activity. This is this is a viral connection. We don't market. We don't um, solicit any one faction. They just come on, and the numbers are what they are. You said you're not interested in any any one faction, but it sounds like the audience has. Uh, has has clustered more or less around the the operator uh, the, the operator uh, uh, title. Uh, what are you doing to monetize that group? Well, you know we we have we have a very interesting business model, now, FOBO, which stands for front of the house, back of the house. So it's a very familiar acronym for the food service industry. It, it naturally attracts operators. Part of it is because of of the handle. And the fact that we are a restaurant community, uh, we don't call ourselves a food service community or a non-commercial community. We are 
a restaurant community and have become a voice for the restaurant industry, meaning that it's not the Michael Atkinson community. It's it's the restaurant community's voice. This is all based on peer-to-peer knowledge and, and crowdsourced information. So naturally, you know, that information bubbles to, to the surface. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic how, how communities are formed, and um, you have to really understand the community before you can figure out how to monetize. Um, so we have... We are first a catalyst community where we connect and engage an entire industry globally. Uh, we have visitors and members from over 100 countries. Um, so there's a global perspective, and the more content that is, is um, accumulated, the deeper our peer-to-peer knowledge bank of information becomes useful. Um, so we've decided that the best way to monetize, since we aren't really an advertising company or a publisher uh, from, the, from the perspective of a trade magazine, we have to identify where the value proposition is. So with that in mind, we see that the web or the social web is becoming the place where people define future products and services. That means to us is that we have to have utility, social utility to create value. So we're creating utility uh, in the form of the social web or social media utility, helping restaurants become smarter uh, more successful and ultimately more profitable using uh, social media tools. So we articulate that by basically saying, you know, Fobo's mission is to build a bridge between technology and the food service industry using the social web versus other methods or other bridge technologies in an industry that and adapt to technologies. We think that social media is going to change that. So our method of, of creating a, a monetization strategy stems around delivering value through the social web. And two primary products that we've recently launched, one is called Buzz, F-O-H-B-U-Z-Z, which is our online um, brand monitoring and management software. It's very powerful and designed specifically for the food service industry. And then Media, which is our end-to-end social media marketing services strategy and group where we uh, have added science to the art of, of social media. We work with restaurant operators on end-to-end social media marketing strategies, um, execution, um, engagement with customers, uh, reporting, and ultimately metrics. Um, so that that is a, a valuable service uh, business services group that actually helps drive ultimately traffic and influence and has a return on engagement and return on influence. So those those become very, very important to us as we help monetize FOBO. And the byproduct of all this is research. We have an enormous amount of data that uh, we're just now tapping into from a research perspective. Um, so rather than explain all the many, many, many ways to monetize FOBO. Suffice it to say that we use FOBO, the community, as a place for delivering content and value to a large industry and as a way to understand what the consumer or actually our members need to be able to drive consumers to their businesses. And the result of that initially has been these two product lines, all geared around social media marketing and social media technology. So it sounds like the the objective is to uh, is to sell services to your members rather than to advertisers trying to reach your members. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, you know, to, to be able to benefit from from Fobo, uh, in all cases, you know, you're going to have to be a member, um, which drives membership. Um, we have a number of initiatives that are coming online this year that are are going to be attractive to those that opt into a premier membership. Um, uh, which is uh, access to deeper, richer, more meaningful content, um, expert seminars and webinars, uh, discounts on products and services. Uh, but we, we're also adding more functionality um, to the community over time, including directories and classified sections. And you know, FOBO University, which is our online uh, educational um, channel, which all these things are going to be you know, coming online over the next several months. So as we add more features and functionality on FOBO, it becomes more meaningful or more of a social web utility, which is valuable. Um, but at the same time, we let our members know that there are services available uh, that can be very powerful for their brands. So these are primarily targeted towards our operator partners. 
On the Record Online is the official podcast of the Public Relations Society of America International Conference. To hear in-depth one-on-one interviews with PRSA conference keynoters, presenters, and panelists, search keyword PRSA on our show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com. Join us October 16th through 19th in Washington, D.C. for the PRSA 2010 International Conference. Given that that uh, you know, publishers have had a hard time monetizing, uh, uh, you know, monetizing uh, subscribers, uh, do, do you feel that you've you've cracked the code uh, there to get people to actually pay enough to support your your expenses? I wouldn't say we've cracked the code. I don't know if anybody's cracked the code, so to speak. But we have a. It, it's taken us 27 months to figure out how to make money in social networking. I mean, you know, Twitter hasn't figured that out, and they've. You know, put what a hundred million dollars to work. You know, we're self-financed. We're bootstrapped. We're a classic Silicon Valley technology company, and so we, you know, we, we certainly don't have the resources uh, and the capital base that some of these larger consumer or C to C type of of um, of social networks have. Uh, we have to be creative and we have to be fast and move on our feet. So we've been spending a lot of time figuring out how to how to how to make money in, a, in an environment that isn't really conducive to an advertising business model. I mean, look, we, you know, we charge $50, $45 to $50 per CPM, um, and, and there's only so much inventory based on the amount of traffic that um, a website can, can generate. Now, we're not looking to be a small company. We're looking to be a valuable company over time, and so trade magazines are having their own challenges in any industry, you know, including the food service industry. You can't transfer what they do online without a negative impact on your bottom line. It's just it just doesn't transfer. Uh, crowdsource content is free, and you you know can't charge for content. Period. So unless you can find another alternative that leverages your expertise and leverages the social web providing value. Uh, to your members, then you're going to fail miserably very quickly. And so what we've done is figure out a way to add value at the same time we generate revenue on a sustained and recurring basis. And so the jury's still out whether we've cracked the code or not. Uh, A, uh, our members have to see enough value in our free membership to want to continue to come and participate. You know, B, our, our premier members need to feel as though their monthly fee is justifiable. And then C, our products and services group has to uh, be very good at what they do and deliver value consistently on a recurring basis for us to be able to sustain a relationship with a customer such that they'll pay us every month to, to continue to deliver these services. So ask me that question a year from now when we have 500 clients instead of you know less than that. <laughs> and if it's working and sustaining and our clients are happy, then I'll be happy to say I think we've cracked the code. In fact, uh, how large is the company right now? How many people do you have? Well, we have eight. Um, we need six more. Um, uh, we, you know, this again is about our 27th to 28th month. Um, we started the company, in, you know, in, at the end of 2007, but launched the site January 1st, 2008. So, you know, we've had wind in our face. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough time, and, tough time to start a new business, wasn't it? Well, you know, it is and it isn't. I mean, you know, those that are really wise and, and say that, you know, the best time to start a company is, is in an economic downturn. Um, others say it's the worst time. So, you know, I started my first company when, in 1981, and that was a real bad time to start a company. That worked out well for me. Uh, but this is a little different. I mean, this is this is very difficult. Um to do it has not been an easy you know venture to sustain ourselves from 2008 through now, um, but we are a survivor. We're doing well. We grow every single day. Uh, revenues grow. Um, you know, we started out with one person, now we have eight. So you know, we're we're excited about what we're doing and the value we're we're delivering, and have a very clear sense of where we're going over the next 12 to 18 months. Um, so yeah, we're happy, and it makes you know. The wind makes you stronger, and we're now, um, you know, way past the point where we have to validate our model. 
I think next we have to um, prove that we can we can scale uh, the business through services and technology. Um, but so far, so good. We're happy. So you're bootstrapped, but you are profitable, and you are sustaining yourself uh, out of revenues. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, we we have we have you know raised some capital. Uh, we raise uh, capital, um, you know, on a quarterly basis. We have an offering now. Uh, that just went out February 1st. We're going to raise um, an additional, you know, three million uh, in private equity to uh, take care of the next growth phase. Like I said, we need six more people, which means we need more office space, and we need, you know, all that company's, um, you know, employees. And we have a number of initiatives on the technology side that is going to require additional. Uh, capital investment and R&D, and then we have CapEx investments. So we, we b- between revenues and our offering, um, we'll be able to sustain ourselves indefinitely. I'm, I'm very confident in saying that not only we are ready for financing, but we're, uh, we're a good candidate for, for an investor. Now, I was interested, you cho- you've chosen to operate on the Ning platform, is that correct? Well, yeah. Um, Ning satisfies or satisfied our early need. We've definitely outgrown Ning. Um, you know, the folks over at Ning know that, and we have a very good relationship with them. Um, but we don't, um, you know, we, we, we have a B2B platform. Uh, they're designed for a centralized approach to satisfy Girl Scout Troop Number 4 in Northern Marin County, as well as somebody who wants to be a musician and, and you know, connect and engage their entire fan base. Um, we're operating on an old uh, set of code from the original set of code from Ning, whereby we actually had access to the source. And so we've written a lot of proprietary code on top of their base, uh, which gives us some unique advantages, but there's also challenges associated with that. We're, we're in fact, having some technology challenges right now because of of uh, Ning's platform and, and how we're segregated within their server. Um, so we, yeah, we chose Ning because at the time they were the best solution for us. Um, and they're probably still the best free type of platform out there. But, you know, again, we've spent a considerable amount of money developing our own proprietary code that works within Ning. Uh, but we also have a second and uh, actually a third um, uh, web uh, technology that runs alongside our Ning service. And if you're on FOBO, unless you're, you know, a technology um, uh, you know, you have a technology background. You really wouldn't would know when, when you're leaving Ning and, and going on to our Drupal site or not. So we we have a business site and uh, and a business side as well as as a Ning platform. So we've been able to kind of like, I, I would you know I wouldn't say duct tape uh, our platforms together, but we we were able to marry um, you know a, a Drupal technology um, uh, with with our Ning community to give us a little bit more uh, functionality. Uh, that helps us grow into our social web utility. I'd like to ask you about engaging this group because this is not a group that that uh, uh, is traditionally inclined toward uh, toward using uh, discussion boards or social networks. What were, what were some of the, uh, I guess, new frontiers you had to cross in figuring out how to get this uh, this group to engage on a social network? Well, you know, it's, it's a work in progress. I mean, it's true that the restaurant industry is large and fragmented. It's also isolated. It's also true that they're naturally, they, meaning that the employees that work within the industry, are naturally social and crave interaction. So social media isn't really a new thing. It's what they've been doing, you know, online, for, I mean, offline for, for years. Um, the resistance has been... Um, and getting the word out there. We don't spend money in marketing because we don't have capital available, like most companies in early stage, for marketing. And we don't grab the headlines like a B2C uh, community would. Uh, so we rely on trade magazines um, who find what we're doing interesting and useful. Um, but as it turns out, trade magazines also are you know, um, a little afraid of their shadow at this point in time, seemingly. Uh, in social media circles, we're open and honest and transparent about who we are and where we're going, evidenced by this conversation. Um, in old media, as I'll refer to it, they're very guarded. They feel as though we're threatening. And if that's the case, they're not going to promote <laughs> um, a, a threatened competitor. So we're not 
we're, we're not totally exposed to as many people that should know about FOBO. And that's, that's, been, that's been challenging. So we have to resort to business development and word of mouth, which is not only the best, but it's also the slowest. Um, so, you know, to counteract that, we've been doing a lot of speaking, and that gets us in front of some thought leaders out there. And the more thought leaders that see FOBO, the more they're starting to see the value of it. And the bottom line, you know, here is that we're not building the community for today's 50-year-old executive. We're building the community for tomorrow's 35-year-old executive that is starting to take some leadership roles who are already connected and already online and, and uh, very familiar with social net- networking and the power of social media. So this is a long-term perspective. Um, we see ourselves as being very valuable and a big part of the food service industry for some time. And as we start building relationships with the likes of restaurant associations and culinary schools and uh, restaurant chains and start tapping into their, their, um, their employee groups, uh, our membership will continue to grow exponentially and our value proposition will continue to grow. So it, it, it's a long-term, slow-growth proposition. But there is a tipping point coming. Yeah, that seems to be the case with with networks of, of any kind. There t- tends to be a, a long period of slow growth, and then you hit some sort of a uh, of a tipping point, as you say, and then the growth can be very fast. The, oh, the question absolutely. Is how how to how to persevere during those uh, uh, sometimes years when uh, mm-hmm. when the growth is not uh, is not rapid. Right. Well, you know that comes down to you know financial engineering, doesn't it? You know, it's 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 how to keep your overhead low. Uh, how to grow revenues incrementally, how to create programs and processes and products and services that are valuable, um, of high quality, that are customizable for your client base, and learn on the fly. You know, one thing about this business, and one of the reasons I'm attracted to it is there's no, you know, rule book. Uh, there are guidelines, and there's certainly laws out there, but... Um, you know, you can't go to Barnes and Noble and pick up a book on how to build a B2B community yet. Anyway, maybe that'll help with your book. But um, you know, the, there there is no rule book. And I'll, I'll I'll tell you an interesting sidebar. We were at Facebook, who were attempting to build a more business relationship with on some strategic matters in the food service industry, and we met with some of their senior executives and. You know, after you know the the pleasantries and, and getting down to business, we you know almost had a chuckle when we acknowledged that you know we you know figured this out on the fly every day, and some things work, some things don't, and they basically chuckled and said, "So do we." You know, here's <laughs> here, here's Facebook, who you think is the grand marshal out there and has all the the wisdom and and has figured everything out. They've cracked the quote, you know, the proverbial code. You know, and they admit that you know some of the stuff they do works, some of it doesn't, and you know that's been public. You know, we've seen that with their with their privacy policies and some of their initiatives. Yeah, and so we talked about the things that are challenges on on Fobo, the same challenges on their site. You know, I've had the same conversation with the folks over at LinkedIn. You know, they have they have challenges within their groups. You know, we have we have the same challenge. It's just that the the scale is is a lot less. But then again, they have what, 375 employees and a couple hundred million bucks behind them. Um, so define scale versus workload. Um, but nobody's cracked the code on how to manage in, in a group and how to make a group successful, how to encourage people to, you know, go beyond the, 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 the one nine ninety rule of, uh, um, of engagement. You know, there's, 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 you know, there's content, you know, Collectors, there's there's curators, there's there's you know the the you know the the proverbial spectator. But at the end of the day, you know it's it's all about content, collaboration, community, and the collective intelligence is the goal. You know the easier it is, content's easy. Collective intelligence is difficult, and we you know we are very focused on on providing a better quality level of content every single day because you know it's like old media. And I mean that respectfully when I say old media as, a, as, a, as compares to, to what we're doing. Um, you know, quality content wins every time. And so we're focused on not only user-generated content, but being able to provide access to content, whether it's professional journalism uh, or other real-time um, and research that will continue to give people reasons to come to FOBO first uh, as their center navigation point for the food service industry. What tricks have you learned for generating content that don't involve paying professionals? 
we have a new initiative coming online. It'll be probably 90 days before um, it'll actually be you know, ready to go. It's being framed now. I'll articulate it this way. It's being designed to create a collaboration. Meaningful content you know, generates you know, meaningful, meaningful content creates opportunities to have meaningful collaboration. And that leads to better quality, deeper, richer content. Um, and you can call it collective intelligence. You can call it peer-to-peer knowledge banking. But the reality is uh, that it's not a static form. Um, so we're, we're putting together a, a, a news and event uh, feature that is fairly automated, which will reward professional journalists that want to contribute content, original content, a pay-per-view mechanism, where for a period of time they give us a head start on their content before they syndicate it to the extent they, they, they care to syndicate it to other you know websites or, or paying sources. And they're also motivated to send... Uh, their traffic to FOBO, which is good for good for FOBO, and when people view their article with a a, a unique uh, visit, a unique IP address, then they'll be paid a certain amount. So we'll have room on this section for perhaps you know six to eight journalists, and our goal is to have many, many more that would like to fall into those six to eight slots based on the quality of views. So the more activity they have, the more you know benefit it is to FOBO, the more money they'll make. Um, so that's professional journalism meets real-time uh, stream of thought, which is Twitter, uh, meets selected RSS feeds, selected or actually posted press releases, um, crowdsourced events, and a series of videos that are that are selected by our community manager that we find interesting, compelling, and uh, current. So that's a, a unique, novel uh, approach to to integrating, you know, crowdsourced content, crowdsourced media with professional journalism and real-time information that's provided by. Uh, those that are interested in the, in the restaurant industry. Uh, but to answer your question, it's the pay-per-view um, mechanism um, that is, is, is still up to, um, to anyone's guess whether this is going to be a success model or not for those displaced journalists that are no longer working in their chosen profession um, but are looking to remain relevant. And so not only does this give them an opportunity to stay relevant, uh, but it gives them an opportunity to earn a living. The top-rated, longest-running social media communications training program comes to Los Angeles this August 2010. Bring your laptop, log on, and learn the ins and outs of effective social media communications and search engine optimization. Reserve your space by logging on to www.newmediaprbootcamp.com. Uh, what what topics have you found really motivate your audience? You know, it, it ranges um, from from burning issues that affect restaurants on a regular basis to the controversy associated with being reviewed, the challenges associated with with um, you know declining revenue over the last two years, actually three years. This has been an incredibly tough time for the food service industry. Uh, it's tough on most industries, but the food service industry is, you know, a big part of the consumer industry, and and the consumer sector tends to lead us in and out of of, of economic downturns. Um, but the the restaurant business is like the canary in the in the gold in the in the in the coal mine. Um, and what, the easiest thing to stop spending on is is dining out. It doesn't take a lot of discipline. You just say, "Well, honey, we're eating at home tonight. <laughs> it's it, we're not going out." And so that's a leading indicator, uh, both on the way in and the way out, for recovery. Um, it's crowdsourced information, you know, Twitter feeds and Facebook commentary, um, and Phobuzz, for example, going back to our online brand monitoring management software, 
uh, gets real-time feedback on what consumers are feeling. It's a sentiment analyzer. Uh, that's critical um, on a going-forward basis. Every brand uh, has an obligation to manage their, their brand as much as they can, notwithstanding the fact that they're no longer in control of their brand. That's the other reality. Um, but to be able to know what people are saying about your brand um, is you know, critical. I mean, you can't protect your company's reputation if you don't know what's being said about it on a social media site, period. End of story. So the more information you have, the easier it is for you to adapt um, and you know that message needs to be delivered to every restaurant out there. You mentioned curation. Uh, you, wh- what do you mean by that in the context of what you do? Well, you know, it's it, it's there's there's folks that that uh, visit sites. You know, I mean, and, and don't do a lot. They they um, they just kind of they're spectators. They're they're voyeurs. So it's people that 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 consume. Um, content, um, and, and those are the people that you know. That, that's the vast majority of, of those people out there. I mean, the researchers out there. I, mean, I think it was Groundswell was first that reported this that the one nine ninety rule, you know, has, has many different contexts. But the the one nine ninety rule says that ninety percent of all users are basically consumers, and nine percent of those users um, are curators, which means they they collect, you know, information there. They'll comment from time to time. They'll, they'll, um, you know, join a forum or step into a group. Um, but one percent are the creators of, of content. Now, I would say that's probably true for C to C sites and B to C sites to to, to a lesser extent. True for but a lot B2B, of B to B sites too. Well, I mean, it's from, true for a lot experience. of B to B sites. Yeah, it is. Um, our numbers are a little different. You know, we we have we have. Um, uh, probably, you know, I, I, if, if, if I was to guess, I would, uh, based on, on levels of activity, it's probably more, more um, you know, 85, maybe 10, and then 5%. We have a fair amount of contributors, and, and um, that's because of, of the unique mix. They're not just consumers, or they're not just operators. They're a combination of operators and vendors and service providers, and so uh, there's also commercial and non-commercial. There's there's less activity on the on the commercial side of the restaurant business than there is the non-commercial side, and part of that is just um, style and personality. But part of it is non-commercial folks have different hours than commercial folks do. Uh, non-commercial folks have more access readily ready access to computers. And, and wireless than commercial. And in many cases, a lot of our members work for large restaurant chains that throw social networking against their firewall and prohibit its use. So, and that goes out to the unit level. So if you have 500 restaurants out there, you know, they can't tap into FOBO and its value uh, because we're on the other side of the firewall, which is a big problem. B2B has a different problem than, than, than B2C. Our time on site is different. Um, level of activity is different. And because we're a community of, of practice uh, as well as purpose, um, our time on site, our frequency of visits um, is, is different than it would be if it was, it was a consumer site. I mean, there's people on certain consumer sites just, you know, that have an average time on site for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Uh, 40 minutes. If, there's, if they're video-centric as much as you know, 15, 20 minutes on B2B. But if it's mostly written word, um, then it's usually around five to seven minutes. You know, People go in, they see what they want to do, and they, they get out. Um, so that's, that's another reason why B2B communities will have a hard time monetizing if it's just an advertising play, at least until there are social web um, utilities that uh, make the site stickier. There's a reason for them to go several times a day, and that's the direction we're headed. We're tra- creating these utilities that enable operators to benefit from dashboards and research and online scheduling and online reservations. So there's many reasons for them to go to fobo.com into their profile on more than one occasion per day. 
So not only is that valuable for the operator, it increases a dramatic amount of traffic and makes the site stickier. And these are all, you know, part of the roadmap. I mean, you have to have a have a community um, before you can create functionality because we don't create functionality, you know, uh, on the fly. We we create it based on what our our customers are asking for. Um, so it's it's it, it's a long process to be able to, as you say, crack the code. And we're on the right path. Um, it's taking longer than we anticipated. Part of that may be because it's the restaurant industry, which you know, operators are resistant or slow to adopt technology, A. B, we've had, as I say, wind interface for two years. And C, we're uh, a bootstrapped company without the resources to go out there and um, you know, spend money on, it, on SEO strategies and, and you know, public relations strategies and go door-to-door. Um, and ultimately, I think that's a winning solution because it's forced us to be introspective and be very careful how we spend dollars and focus on what the needs are of our community and put the community first. And they're giving us guidance and direction on what it is they need, and we're starting to deliver that now, which results in our way of monetizing FOBO. Can you share any numbers on your, your membership, your active membership? I can give you some. Um, we have about 14,000 members. Um, we have the average average member visits uh, FOBO twice a month. We have uh, an average time on site approaching four minutes, four and a half minutes. And uh, like I said, about 70% of our membership are, are owner operators and 30% are vendors, manufacturers, and service providers. Say somebody was going to try to do what you do. Say they were going to try to launch a community for, I don't know, people who work in theaters, for example. Uh, what advice would you give them? Well, number one, you have to have domain expertise. Um, if, you, if you are creating a consumer site, then technology and marketing are skill sets that are valuable. Uh, even though social media isn't about technology, you know, you know, without it, you know, there is no community. So I think that's a that's a false statement to begin with. Technology drives everything. Um, uh, but what works in in verticals in B two B, unless you have extreme domain expertise, the membership will find out immediately, and they want to know that you're an expert, that you're one of them. The other thing that's important is to be very good at business development. You have to have access to resources. You have to have very good relationships in a variety of areas to be able to create awareness and attract those that influence the industry. Just like social media, I mean, this is all about finding your influencers, right? So it's the same thing for building a community. You know, what we've done is 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 uh, identify the key influencers in our industry and leverage those relationships to be able to help drive traffic, momentum, uh, meaningful strategic partnerships that are just now starting to to uh, affect our growth, not only in membership, but valuable content and have helped us craft the two primary products that we're offering on the social media side, which is Phobos and Phomedia. Um, but domain expertise is critical and having a good sense of business development, um, being extremely strategic and disciplined on how to manage your community. And that is you know, also avoiding, you know, as many spammers as you possibly can. We we started off being very kind, um, considerate, and hand-holding a lot of our, our, our early members uh, and giving them way too much leeway. And spammers will kill your community faster than than um, in losing power. <laughs> yeah, um, right. And so we started off by being very, you know, very sensitive to them, thinking, well, maybe they just didn't read the rules. And then we came up with a, a three strikes rule where you know we would we would modify who could see their message if it was spam like and send them a quick personal message that was you know relatively can but you know grateful for their participation you know appreciate their membership but please reread the community guidelines and we'd send out one and, and sometimes you hear back sometimes you wouldn't uh, if they did it again we'd send out something that was just a little you know firmer. And in many cases, in fact, most cases, they would say, look, you know, my, my bad. <laughs> didn't read the rules, didn't know that was, you know, bad. 
uh, now I understand that I'm not supposed to use this as an advertising vehicle. Um, you know, sorry. Which is which is great. And then you know, we go on to build a relationship. And then there's that you know remaining percent you know that don't care. And you know then strike three would come about. Well, that's morphed into uh, a one and a half strike rule, where based on how badly they they affect the community. And we have a lot of community members that, that just report spammers, you know, because it's their community, it's not mine. So if you if you want to help us out by monitoring, because we can't manage all the traffic or monitor all the traffic, so we get notified on a regular basis. You know, we depending on how bad they spam, if it's just blatant, then we just we'd ban them right away because there's no no value there. And a lot of that has to come down to, you know, who are they? If it, if it says name XYZ, you know, zip code that's 123456, that type of thing, we don't hesitate. They're, they're just banned immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if they have a pretty complete profile, where they're, you know, and they have a, you know, a photograph, and, you know, it looks like they're, they're real, and it's, it's, they're not anonymous, and they just spam, then we'll, that's the, then, then we'll send out that letter. In most cases, that solves the problem. Um, but we 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 have we have a lot firmer position, and that's resulted in a, a lot of reduction in spam. So spam control is critical. So domain expertise, business development skills, um, you know, well capitalized is, uh, is is a good thing as well. But but take no no prisoners when when it, when it comes to managing uh, those that can destroy your community. For an inside perspective on exactly what it takes to handle communications at the White House, the U.S. Department of Defense, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Army, the U.S. Navy, and the U.S. Department of State, search keyword GOV20 on our show blog at ontherecordpodcast.com. I wonder about uh, the the traditional media where the uh, publishers of the magazines may not have certainly didn't come from a background uh, of, of of expertise in the domain. Uh, the people who launched uh, magazines for restaurants probably weren't restaurateurs by uh, by um, uh, profession. Uh, have you found that the rules have changed now? Where to to launch a community, you really have to be a member of that community to make it work. Yeah, I do. My opinion, um, because you can't monetize a B two B. From advertising, you know, let let's take let's let's you know pick pick a magazine, you know, in in the in the food service industry, um, you know, every trade publisher on the planet, if they're not trying to figure out a way to go online because that's where all the spending is, then they're going to be out of business very quickly. But the challenge here is you can't take a five million dollar a year magazine and all of a sudden put it online and expect to have a five million dollar online magazine. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so they have all the fixed costs of a of a of a of an offline publisher, and the inability to monetize from an advertising perspective because the traffic just isn't there. There's a finite a number of people that are interested in reading your online trade magazine. It's a B to B pub after all. Um, so if they have offline, they may have a hundred thousand subscribers, whether it's a control circ or a paid pub. Um, you know, translate that into real dollars for selling advertising. You know, all of a sudden you have a $300,000 a year business instead of a $5 million business. Meanwhile, your fixed expenses are the same. So what do they do? You know, they can't go out and, you know, create, you know, technology products, software um, uh, products uh, for the industry. They don't understand restaurant operations, so their their logic isn't set in the in the path of creating services and and, and value for operators. Um, they have access to research. That's what's one additional revenue source for them. Um, so they do what they do on in trade pubs. They create a conference uh, and they they sell lists. Well, you know. Nobody likes their lists sold, <laughs> particularly on on an internet. So that's one revenue source that really goes away. So that, that limits them to research. Um, so point is, is is that a community is a completely different animal. It's not an online publication. We are not an online publisher. 
we are an online community dedicated to an industry that we serve and respect. And it's out of that service and respect that creates um, products that are designed specifically using the social web, which is something most trade publishers don't understand. Uh, and that's our revenue opportunities. Advertising is an afterthought. That's you know, if it comes, has great margin. But we don't, we don't really, we don't have anybody in sales for advertising. If a, if a manufacturer or an agency calls us, you know, we'll send them a media kit. If they buy, they buy. It's not even something we we pursue. Well, if I was a trade pub, that's the only thing I'm pursuing. So it, it's a completely different world, a uh, completely different monetization strategy, and we have at least 40 other monetization opportunities that we're just not focused on yet because you can't be spread too thin. We focus on what needs are now. Um, so they, you know, I would not want to be in a trade publishing business at this, at, at this point in time in any industry, whether it's construction, you know, education or financial services, much less you know, the food service industry. You said you're working on a book yourself? I am. I'm about probably a third of the way done. It's 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 called Social Shock, um, and it's it part of it is 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 about you know social media and where it's going from my perspective. Uh, many of the same sections that you have in your book are are you know in my outline as well, but I take a different tact. It's 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 about growing a B two B community. And 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 the food service industry. It's it's going to be very specific to, at least I'd say 75% of it will be very specific to this industry, uh, as it relates to building community and the idiosyncrasies that, that are attendant to that. So, I'm doing more and more speaking, and you know, publishers are saying, Michael, um, you need a book. <laughs> Um, and it's also credibility for FOBO. If we have a book that talks about, you know, FOBO, and we're building a brand, um, and it relates to the industry, we're we're becoming very well known uh, in the manufacturing circles, the agency circles, uh, association circles. Every every day that we're out there, we have new members, and those members know our brand. Um, so it's only a matter of time. So a book would 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 uh, help bring more credibility. Um, to let people know that you know we're not just building a business here; we're really delivering our promise to uh, to help make restaurants smarter, more successful, and ultimately more profitable. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at OnTheRecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com.